My name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Alliance Church, and that's Ed Glover. He's going to be our speaker in two weeks at Man Camp. You might recognize Ed if you are familiar with the organization Urban Impact or even Man Up Pittsburgh. Ed is the leadership behind both of those things that are uh, a huge ministry uh, blessing to our community here in the Pittsburgh area. And so if you want to go to Man Camp, we'd love to have you there. Sign up today. Today's the deadline. You can go to mancamp2020.org to do that. So this morning, I'm really excited. We're, we're stepping into a new series. You can see it behind me. It's called Now What? And, and, and to get us started, I want to ask you a question. Do you have a guilty pleasure? A guilty pleasure. So if you don't know what a guilty pleasure is, guilty pleasure is that the thing in your life that maybe you enjoy, but, but you don't really admit it publicly. Not a bad thing, but maybe it's a little bit embarrassing. I, I have a guilty pleasure, and I'm looking around the room. Our, our church is a pretty manly church. There's a lot of beards in the room today, which obviously indicates manliness. We just promoted man camp. And, and so I'm a little bit hesitant to admit to you my guilty pleasure, but I'm just going to come out with it. I like Hallmark movies. I, I like Hallmark movies. I do. Yeah, right. So the guys in the room are staring straight ahead, trying to just like, they're not going to show in their eyes. But I know there's some guys out there too that, that like Hallmark movies. <clears throat> It just started really uh, back around Christmas time for me, and so I, I wouldn't say I identify as a homework movie guy, but I'm definitely questioning right now. Like we're, I'm not sure. I have some questions, and um, so we're, we're. You guys want to just grab me a handheld? I think I'm I'm buzzing. So anyhow, uh, homework, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll switch to that. Hello. All right. Hallmark movies. So, yeah. So, here's how bad it's gotten, actually, in my life. My, my wife isn't the one recommending that we watch them. I'm actually going to her on Friday nights and saying, will you watch a Hallmark movie with me, dear? And, and so, if you've ever watched a Hallmark movie, this is what you know. They all have the same exact plot. Same exact plot. First five minutes, you meet this really handsome guy, this really pretty girl, and for the next hour of the movie, they spend the entire time trying to convince themselves that they're not falling in love with each other. And then about three-quarters of the way through the movie, just when you think that they're finally going to say it to each other, some kind of crisis happens in the relationship, and you think it's going to all fall apart, and you just wasted all your time getting invested in this couple for nothing. And that is when a weather event happens. Every movie. Some kind of big rainstorm, or if it's a Christmas Hallmark movie, it's a snowstorm. And if somebody travels through the storm really dangerously, one of the lovebirds, to the other lovebird's door, knocks on the door, and that's when what we've known was going to happen all along happens. They confess their love to each other. They kiss. My kids cover their eyes and say, ooh. I kiss my wife because I know it bothers my kids and I want to drive them crazy. And the movie ends every time. But every time I watch a, a Hallmark movie, you know what I wonder? I have this question. Now what? Now what? Because that's not how it works in real life. I mean, you, you don't just fall in love in the credits roll. You've actually got to go on being a couple. And the whole movie long, they drive each other crazy. And I'm always wondering, okay, well, all these things that drove each other crazy about them just go away now that they love each other and they kissed? Or there's all kinds of geographical problems, right? Somebody's leaving their career in Chicago to move back to their hometown, right? This guy that they knew when they were little, and now that he's all grown up and he's handsome. And so how are they going to work that out? I have all these questions. Or, or I'm wondering, too, like, 
does this guy not realize that this same actress, this same girl, fell in love with five different guys in five different Hallmark movies? She's got boyfriends all over the country. When's he going to learn that? This is what I think. But, but really, we know the movie doesn't have to solve that problem. They can just end the movie. But in our lives, we don't have that luxury. In our lives, we have to deal with now what moments. And now what moments in our lives, I would define it as, now what moment is sort of when, when you come to this point in your life when what you thought was going to be an end result ends up resulting in a new beginning with some new challenge or new responsibility. And many of us have faced these. Maybe for you, is spending months and months and months and months planning all the way up to a wedding day when a pastor says, I now pronounce you husband and wife, and you're walking down the aisle and you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, now what? Or, or nine months after you hear the words, I'm pregnant, you walk out of a hospital with a tiny human being in your arms, and everything has been about getting to when the baby comes, and now you realize, now what? Or, or, or it's sitting down at that, that mahogany table. And, and writing your name on a line of, on a piece of paper and writing a date, and you walk out of that room a homeowner with a mortgage and responsibility, now what? D- did you know that this question, now what, also applies to our lives spiritually? This is an important question for our lives spiritually. I've heard, I've heard when people come to the place in their life when they're going to trust Jesus Christ as their, for their salvation, I've heard it described as, a, as crossing the line of faith. But did you know that that line is a starting line and not a finish line? And once you cross that line of faith, there's a life of faith to live after that. A week ago, we had our venison dinner here at the church, and more than a dozen people indicated that they accepted Jesus as their Savior for the first time in their life. And dozens more indicated that they they recommitted their lives to Christ. And if you were at the venison dinner and you've come back this morning, and because you want to ask the question, now what? Thank you for doing that. Thank you for taking what you did seriously, and we want to welcome you back in. And so this morning and in the series that we're diving into, this now what series, we're going to take some time to answer the question of what happens after you place your faith in Jesus? Because you're now called to live a life, a life in Christ. There's growth that's take, that's to take place, and we're going to talk about some core ideas and some core principles that are going to help us to grow in our faith. And to do this, we are going to be in Colossians chapter 2. But before we dive into the scripture, I, I, I want to kind of push against maybe two thoughts that some folks might be having here this morning. First, if you're here today and you would say to yourself, you know what, I'm really not a Christian. I haven't placed my faith in Jesus for my salvation. You know, I, I, wanna, I just want to say this to you. I, I'm guessing you're not here because you've been kidnapped. So if you have been, you can let our security team know and we will help you out. But if you're not here because of that, I'm assuming you're not, would you at least admit that your presence in a church on Sunday morning would show that there's at least a chance, even if it's small, that at some place, at some point in your life, you might come to the place where you want to place your faith in Jesus. So consider what we're going to be talking about, sort of giving you a sense of what you might get into before you get into it. Now, there's other folks here that, that you might be thinking, okay, if we're talking about the basics of growing in my faith, I've been a believer for a very long time. I've been at this for a while. Well, I want you to know that this isn't for just people who are new to their faith. This is for people who are at all stages in their faith. And here's a really important idea for our lives. No matter what your now is, God has a next. For every now, God has a next. 
wherever you're at spiritually, there's a next place that God wants to take you in your walk. And so what we're going to be talking about is really going to help you no matter where you're at in your faith. And so we're going to be doing this out of the book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 2. If you want to pull out your Bible app or pull out uh, your Bible, we're going to, you can open up to that. And, and Colossians is really, it's really a letter that was written to a church that was facing a now what moment. It's a really cool story. The, the, the church in a city of Colossae, uh, in, in the ancient world, they were started by a man named Epaphras. Epaphras went out, he learned about Jesus, he was introduced to Christ, he accepted Christ, and then he goes back to his hometown of Colossae, and he begins to share his faith, and people start to believe. And next thing you know, he sort of accidentally becomes a church planner. So he's the young Christian, he's leading this church of even younger Christians, and he realizes he's in over his head, so he reaches out, to Paul, or, or the Apostle Paul, the man who wrote most of what we would call our New Testament. He was sort of the pillar of, of the church world at that time. And they asked the question, now that we've come to faith, what do we do? Now what? So Paul writes them this letter, and he starts to talk about this. And particularly in Colossians chapter 2, he answers the question. And leading up to this point in the letter, he's sort of been talking about how he's been praying for them, and, and how... And how he's you know, just excited to hear about their faith. But then he gets to his point in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, and he says this. So then, or as the New Living Translation puts it, so now. So now that you've come to faith, now that your lives have been changed, now that you have believed the gospel, what do you do? He tells them, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him. He says, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, he's saying, if, if you want to know what's next in your life, you've got to look back at what brought you to receiving Christ. And he says to them, you, just as you receive Christ, what's next is going to be pointing back to what's before. And he's actually pointing back to a place in the letter a little bit earlier when he said this. He said, just as you receive Christ, just as when you believe that he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's saying, you came to Christ when you believed this gospel. You believe that you were in a dominion of darkness. You believe that in your life you were in captivity to sin and you could not save yourself. You could not rescue yourself. Some of you realized that you were in this captivity and you tried everything you could think of to get out of it, but you weren't able to do it on your own. For others, you were in a captivity and you didn't even realize it. It was so normal to you that you didn't realize that you were even imprisoned in this dominion of darkness. It was like a tiger in a zoo. Until one day, Jesus broke through the walls of your life and shined light into the darkness of your life, exposing your sin, and he said, If you will trust me, I will give you redemption. And the forgiveness of sins. If you will trust me, I will rescue you. And if you have trusted Jesus to rescue you, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, then what Paul says is for you. He says, if you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. He's saying, just as you came to faith in Christ, continue to live your lives in him. And Paul is saying this because I think he knows something about you and I. Probably he knew it about himself. However we answer the question, now what, when it comes to our spiritual lives, if we do it just how we would naturally do it, it's always going to involve 
an answer that involves us. Something that involves something that we do. Our effort. I mean, if you think about it, all the other now what questions in your life, they come back to something that you do. So you, so you have a baby. Now what? Well, you're going to learn how to win a fight with a car seat. And, and you're going to get up in the middle of the night to feed the baby. And you're going to call your mom a lot because you realize that your mom knows a lot more about raising a child than you realize she did when you were a child. Because you're going to do whatever you have to do to keep that child alive. Or, or, or if it's signing a mortgage, you're going to think to yourself, all right, I've got to, do, I've got to do everything I can to pay back this debt. So I'm going to work overtime. I'm going to get a second job if I have to. I'm going to cut expenses because I'll do whatever I have to do to pay it back. Or maybe for you it's a new job or, or going out on your own in business and you think to yourself, I've got to prove that I can do this. So I'm going to act the part. I'm going to get training. I'm going to do everything I can to live up to the expectations of this job. And Paul's saying to us and to this church that it's that kind of thinking that is the problem. It's when you take these phrases and you say, or, or even worse, you believe that I'll keep my faith alive. I'll pay back to Jesus what he paid for me. I'll live up to the expectations of God. He's saying when you start to think that your spiritual life is all about what you do, you're setting yourself up for failure because just as you receive Jesus Christ, as your Lord, just as you believed that he paid for your sins and he gives you your salvation, he's saying you've got to take that same mindset into how you live your life for him. He's saying that all the things that we say to refer to spiritual growth, transformation, life change, fruit, victory over sin, all of the other things that you might have heard to describe spiritual growth in your life, he's saying that all of those things do not come back to your effort. It comes back to Jesus. So you've got to continue your life in him. Because the benefits and the promises and the blessings of the Christian life are not achieved and do not depend on you. They've already been won for you by Jesus Christ. And they're available to you through him. So if you're here today and maybe in your life as a Christian, you feel like you're falling short of growth. Maybe after you, answer the after you ask the question of now what in your life, there's just sort of a bunch of periods because you really haven't figured out that answer. It could be because you've been continuing to live your life after your salvation in your own effort. You haven't been continuing in him. Now, now Paul's going to keep writing here in the next verse, and, and I think he does this because this is kind of like sort of a, an idea and he realizes there are people like me, maybe not like you, but people like me, like, I need examples. I, I need some kind of metaphor, some kind of illustration that I can attach my thinking to. So Paul keeps writing. He says, continue to live your lives in him. Then he gives us actually a number of illustrations. He says, live your life rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. He gives us more than we can preach about today, but we're going to attach ourselves to this idea of being rooted in Christ. He's using a plant illustration. A few years ago at our house, we decided we needed to rip out a bunch of overgrown shrubs around the house, and so we, we pulled them out, and that was kind of step one, but we really didn't think about step two. So we, we're looking around our house, and we have no plants 
and we're trying to figure out, what do we want to plant? So I, I do this, like, I go around to a bunch of nurseries in, in Butler and around the area, and I start taking pictures on my phone of small plants, young plants in pots, and then also taking pictures of the tags on those plants. And I, I know it's weird. Like, most dads have phones full of pictures of their kids. If you got my phone, if you hacked my phone, like, all you would see is plants. I actually feel bad for somebody if they hack my iCloud account. They're going to be super disappointed, right? They're going to get in there and there's all these plants. I mean, there's a couple risque pictures of rhododendrons, but that's about it. Like, it's, it's not what you think it would be. So, so I get all these pictures of these plants, and, and I took them home. And I did that because I wanted to go home, and I wanted to look up what this young plant could look like if it's all grown up and mature. Because I wanted a vision of what it could be. And did you know that God has a vision of what your life could be if you're all grown up in him? He has a vision of what he wants to grow you into in your life. Maybe your faith is small. It's like a seedling just sticking out of the dirt. God has a vision of what he wants you to grow up to be. Or or maybe in your life, you, you have some branches that are kind of broken and damaged. God has a vision of healing and restoration he wants to bring to your life. Or maybe in your life, you're, you're kind of bent over and from, the, from the storms of life. God has a vision of how he wants to strengthen you up and lift you up. Maybe you look at your life and you say, there's just not a lot of fruit. God has a vision of fruit he wants to produce through each and every one of us. God has a vision of what he wants you to grow up to be. But do you know what I realized when I was taking those pictures of those plants in pots, all the pictures that I took, they were actually of plants that even though they looked healthy, were in the process of dying. Because when a plant is in a pot, if nothing changes, it will eventually wither up and dry up and die because its roots cannot get into the ground that it needs to grow. In fact, places that sell plants have to go out and water them every day. They have to be very diligent because if they don't take very good care of them, They could die very easily. But when those plants are planted in the ground, the roots get established, and they grow naturally. Roots are very, very important to a plant. They get the nutrients that a plant needs, the water a plant needs. They keep the plant firm and grounded in storms. actually stores up food to make it through a harsh, harsh winter. And that's Paul's point. He says this, life rooted in Christ produces growth in your life. Life rooted in Christ produces growth in your life. You see, see, here's the thing. When, when in a month, whenever uh, all around us, everything gets green and you're driving down the road and you're enjoying the blossoms and the greenery, everything that is beautiful on the outside, all of that growth is produced by healthy roots underneath the ground. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, in your life, it's the same way. The roots of your life have to be dug into Christ. Without healthy roots, without a life grounded in Christ, without a life seeking Christ first, you won't have the growth in your life that you're seeking. Put another way, if your roots do not dig down in Christ, you will not grow up in Christ. If your roots do not dig down in Christ, you will not grow up in Christ. So everything that we do spiritually, everything we do to try to continue after that starting line, 
doesn't come back to our effort. It comes back to pursuing Jesus. Because Jesus is the source of our nourishment. And if we're rooted in him, we're going to have the nutrients we need to grow. And Jesus has the water of life. So if we're rooted in him, we'll never dry up. And Jesus is our firm foundation. So if we're rooted in him, our faith won't be blown over in the storms of life. And Jesus is our identity. So if we're rooted in him, we're going to grow up to be a plant that looks like him. So, so how does this work out in our lives? How, how does this work practically? You know, I, I want to share a little bit with you, maybe from, from looking at this through an issue that many of us have struggled with in our lives. I, I know I have. See, I've, I've done this. I've gone to this verse that we were looking at earlier, and, and I've said, okay, the verse says continue to live your lives in him, but I've kind of done this. I've kind of crossed out the in, and I've tried to live my life for him. And you're sitting there, you're saying, okay, what's the difference? I've heard people talk about living for Christ for as long as I've been living. Or maybe you're thinking, well, this is just one of those churches that waters down the truth so they can get a bunch of people to come out. But this is what you have to realize. We have to live in Christ before we can live for Christ. We have to live in Christ before we can live for Christ. We have to have life in Christ which will produce growth in life. You see, this is how I've gotten this wrong. I've taken this phrase, life in Christ produces growth in life, and I've actually kind of flipped it around. I've put the for Christ before the in Christ. And I've said things like this. You know, I want the qualities of a life in Christ. I want a vibrant relationship with Jesus. I want intimacy with him. I, I want to experience his affection. I want to know his love. And I want to give my love to him. And I want to have an identity that, that is tied to him and is seen through him. Have you desired these things in your life? And, and then, then what I've done, though, is I've said, I want those things so bad, this is what I'm going to do. Maybe it's a sin in my life that I'm struggling with. And, and I think to myself, you know, I, gotta, I just got to beat this sin. I, I got I to gotta suck it up and stop. And if I do that, if I can just make that happen, then I'll get, I'll get this in my life. Maybe you have some sin in your life that you've just been struggling with. And you're thinking, you know, Jesus, I, I can't have a relationship with him until I get this stopped. Or, or maybe for you, you said, you know, I just need to become a better person. I, I have some rough edges in my life, so I just got to become a better person. Then, then, then I'll be, Jesus can tolerate me a little bit better. So, so maybe you, you know, you're driving down the road and you're using all five fingers on your hand when you're waving to people now. It's, it's been good. Or you go to Aldi's. You know, I've done this, right? I go to Aldi's and I'm like, I get my groceries in the car and I push my cart back and there's that person coming. And they, I say, I'm just going to give them my cart. And when they offer me a quarter, I say, no, that's okay. You have a nice day. I'm becoming a better person. Or, you know, you, you'll hear us talk here about the importance of loving others. So, so you'll say, okay, I've got to be more helpful to others. And, and so, you know, you'll sign up to serve somewhere. Or you say, you know, we hear about missionaries. You think, okay, I'm going to give some money to help that. Or maybe you take it super seriously and you sign up to help at our junior high overnight lock-in. Like, I'm helping. It's, it's not really helping unless it's miserable. So I'm going to help. And if I just help others enough... Well, then I'll have all these qualities in my life. Or did you know this? That you can even make something as important as reading your Bible and praying 
just an action to just try to prove your devotion to God. I'm going to prove, I'm going to prove I love you, God. I'm going to spend time with you. I don't have to like it, but I'm going to do it. You know, there was a time in seminary, I remember this, I thought of this story. I, I, was, try, I was trying to get these things in my life, so I decided I, just, I need to pray more. So I decided, you know, before dinner, I was going to pray an hour a day because I probably read in some book that some spiritual person prayed an hour a day. So I'm, I'm going to do that. And, and I used to try to do that, and I would set a timer. And I would sit, I'm going to keep praying until that timer goes off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I mean, could you imagine if my, I came in from work and my wife was, I just want to spend some time with you tonight. And, and I said, okay, here's the timer. I will sit here and talk to you until that timer goes off, but not a minute more. How could I expect her to put up with that? But I was expecting God to put up with that. See, spending time with God can just become about trying to impress him with our discipline. And what Paul is saying in Colossians is he's saying you've got to flip this around. Because if you try to do it this way, you might see some progress for a while, but it's all coming from your efforts. You're just going to wind up frustrated. And even though you desire both of these things in your life, I mean, these are good things, you're going to wind up getting neither because you're doing it in the wrong order. So you've got to flip it around, he's saying. So this is a mistake. The mistake is expecting these products of growth to be the producers of growth. If you get it in the wrong order, you're expecting these things, which are products of growth in your life, to produce growth. And it doesn't work that way. But here's the thing I've learned in my life, and this has been really helpful. When I focus on my relationship with Jesus first, and what I mean by that is when everything I do spiritually, whether it's coming to church, whether it's worshiping, going to a small group, getting together with friends and having real conversations, reading my Bible and praying, when it's not about I'm going to produce growth in my life, but it's just about I want to... I want to know Jesus more. I want to know what he thinks about me. I want to know how, what he wants me to do. When I focus on him and pursue him and desire him and dig the roots of my life into him, when everything I'm doing is focused on him, I get these things in my life. But here's the other thing that happens. This stuff starts to happen naturally. I've seen this work. Sins that have been a challenge for a long time start to see myself overcoming them. But it's not me white-knuckling myself through it. It's just that I see Jesus changing my desires. Or, or, you know, I become a better person. But it's not outward and fake. It becomes something that's inward and genuine. Or, or I start to help others more. But it's not because I have to. I better do it. It's because I, I, I want to do it. And even my devotions, it's not about I have to spend time with God today. It's like, when, when can I spend some time with God today? Because I'm desiring Christ first rather than the products of the growth in my life. And, and here's the thing. This is, this is why I wanted to start this series with this, because you're going to hear a lot of messages at our church about things that we can do to grow our relationship with Jesus, because we're a church that's about life change. You can look on the wall, on the lobby, you can see that we're about transformed lives. We believe that God has a vision 
for our lives. God has a vision for your marriage. If your marriage is broken and you're hurting there, God has a vision of a healthy marriage for you. Or or, or if your relationship with your children is bad or, or you're struggling there, God has a vision for that. He doesn't want that for you. He has a vision of what it could be. If you're struggling with sin in your life, God has a vision for victory in your life over that. If you're hurting in your life, God has a vision for healing you from that hurt. If you feel like you lack purpose in your life, God has a vision for what he wants you to do in this life. He gave you your life for a reason. God has a vision of transformation in your life. But, but if you come here and you hear messages about how to pursue that transformation, but you think it's all about these things, you're not going to realize it because transformation starts in Christ. Growth in life is produced by life in Christ, not the other way around. Because Jesus is the producer of the products of growth. Jesus is the producer of the products of growth. So, so here's the question. And we'll land here. Now what? Take a look at your life. Like what's, what's going on with you? Maybe you're new in your faith and, and, and this is all new to you. you know, you're just kind of shocked about what Jesus is doing. It's like amazing. He has more for you. He wants you to grow. He has a vision for what you could be. So my challenge to you is pursue him first and let him take care of the other things in your life as a product of that. Or maybe you're here today and, and you say, you know, I, I've been trying to do these things. I, I've been pursuing them. I've been trying to, to dig more into him, but I'm not necessarily seeing all the fruit on the outside. My challenge to you is to be patient. Growth takes time. Roots take a while to establish, and the growth follows from that. Be patient. Keep pursuing him. Maybe you're here today, and, and you know, when I put up the, the, the side with all the, the growth items, you've been pretty legalistic in your life. Like, just through your own discipline, you have, you have said, okay, I'm, I'm going to do these things. But if you're honest, like, you're not experiencing anything changing. My, my challenge to you is to take your attitude and kind of change it around. Reverse it. In what you're doing, pursue Jesus first and allow him to bring that growth. Or maybe you're here today and you, you've come to church, you've kind of been that person who knows how to look good on the outside, but your roots have never gone into the ground at all. You know it, maybe nobody else knows it, but, but, but on the outside it's sort of just superficial, but there's no depth. My challenge to you is dig into Jesus. Dig into him. Pursue him. Desire a relationship with him. Desire intimacy with him. Desire your identity in him. And out of that will come your growth. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, as we look at this passage and we think about growth and how Paul gives us this really good example, Maybe some really smart scientists know how growth in plants work, but for the most of us, it's, a, it's just sort of a mystery that we enjoy. God, it's, it's something that we step back and we say, wow, God, you're amazing. You made that. That's so beautiful. Father, as we look at our own lives spiritually, God, we, we, we want to just step back and ask you to work in us, to change us, to grow us.
to create beauty in our lives in a way that we step back and say, thank you, God. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I pray that more than anything else, you would give this people here at our church a desire for Jesus, a desire that goes past salvation in Christ and a desire that pursues him, will dig deep, will chase him in a way that will make a difference in our lives and in a way that will make a difference in our community. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you all. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.